welcome to the Panda Brothers Podcast, where we talk comics, movies, and cross-media storytelling. Today's episode, we get into the gory details of writing our vampire screenplay Girl Fiend and the journey to adapting it into the graphic novel published by Dark Horse Comics. Stick around to gain insight on writing an original screenplay, navigating the Hollywood naysayers, and adapting to the moment. Welcome to the Panda Brothers Podcast. Welcome to the Panda Brothers Podcast. And uh, we're going to be talking about our process, our projects, and inspiration behind them, and the, how we kind of go about the projects that we've created. We actually released our latest uh, graphic novel from Dark Horse Comics. It's the follow-up to our original gra- graphic novel, Girl Fiend, and this sequel is uh, titled Girl Fiend in Paris. So we thought, let's take uh, the opportunity to kind of just talk a little bit about the backstory of Girl Fiend, how it came to be, what compelled us to write and draw a vampire graphic novel, um, and what has kind of led to uh, the latest graphic novel, Girl Fiend in Paris. So uh, let's talk a little bit uh, about uh, Girl Fiend, the OG Girl Fiend. I want to say, well, 2003, I think, we were at a... um, at that film festival in Las Vegas. And that was when we came up with the idea. On the, yeah. on the road, <clears throat> we started brainstorming this idea for a screenplay, for a vampire screenplay. Right. We had written a couple of screenplays already, but that were fairly personal screenplays, and we thought, let's just take on a really classic genre and, and, and in a way kind of detach ourselves from it being overly personal and really just write a great genre script that was kind of our our challenge to ourselves yeah yeah and you know we have over the years done these sort of brainstorm sessions in in, uh, driving you know having these kind of road trips so this was kind of a perfect opportunity for that and uh, just to to give a little context I had moved to Los Angeles to sort of represent our projects uh, in comics our creator own graphic novels right and his hometown's Portland, Oregon. His hometown's Portland, Oregon. And uh, Jakob was, you know, came down, and then our friend had this uh, had their movie in, a, in this film festival. So that was sort of the situation. But yeah, so we were on the road. We were heading back to L.A., and we just were compelled to like come up with something brand new. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I remember, yes, feeling that that sense that we should write something in a genre, something that is a little like, as they say in. Hollywood, a no-brainer, you know, something that mm-hmm. people can uh, yeah. easily identify with. Yeah. and Something that, that would either be fairly easy to get financed for us to make or something that would be, you know, fairly easy to sell, you know, easy Hopefully. in quotes. But, yeah, something right. that would be, you know, there would be a market for. Exactly. So with that in mind, we, you know, um, really kind of started to brainstorm this idea of, a, you know, uh, a girl who's, you know, a runaway vampire and is looking for a, you know, quote unquote normal life yeah. and, and really wanted to play against expectation. We thought, well, let's, you know, use some of the familiar, I guess, tropes of the vampire genre, but also think about what could we, how could we spin that on its head mm-hmm. and play, you know, again, against the expectation of the vampire being dark and gothic and let's let's make her bubbly and Mm -hmm. idealistic and um yeah you know romantic romantic. and that that was i think the thing that became the hook for us at the time was what if you know uh, a vampire ran away to the big city to just live a normal life and fell in love with a mortal 
And, exactly. and then how would they navigate that? How right. would they navigate their love and also her vampirism to be able to kind of t- ride the moral line and sustain both their love and also yeah. her hunger? Exactly. And when she meets this human and they fall in love, he is, uh, you know, at odds with her being, uh, well, she's, he's fine with her being a vampire. In fact, he's <clears throat> sort of morbidly attracted to her, that aspect. But he uh, is at odds with her killing innocent people and to, to feed. And so this leads to uh, this, this solution to hunt down criminals so that he feels uh, ethically, uh, you know, you know, morally okay with everything and, and they start hunting down criminals. And of course that only leads to more craziness. Yeah. yeah. Spirals from there. And he's, yeah. he's a guy that works in a morgue. So, and he's definitely more of the goth character. So it kind of played again, playing against expectations. If you really kind of looked at it, you'd go, well, he's the vampire. And, you know, she, I mean, she, you would, you know, she could be a vampire, but he definitely seems like the kind of gothic vampire type of character yes a little bit morbid lives in the you know amongst the corpses at at the at the morgue he's a cutter you know so blood's already yeah and he's he's got a band that's you know and they're they're definitely in the kind of dark dark uh kind of dark rock goth mode goth emo and then you know she's sort of like um well I, i think we were almost playing off the idea of the kind of the lil abner sort of you know Country. Girl from the Midwest, or mm-hmm. you know, a, a rural America, and she's got the little polka dot dress, and there's a little bit of a kind of Americana uh, element to her, and yeah, it's almost rockabilly. A little bit way. of rockabilly. I mean, I think she kind of became yeah. more rockabilly as the drawing style, yeah, started to kind of define the it, look of her character. Yeah, but some of those, right? But some of the 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 sort of the hearkening to kind of Americana. For her, as if she's almost out of another time and a, a, another sort of, uh, you know, uh, era. Mm-hmm. And so that, uh, you know, gave her a kind of an innocence or a naivete, but at the same time... Um, charm. Gave, yeah, hopefully a charm. And yeah. then, of course, that giving her this daywalker uh, ability yeah. that made her sort of... Which actually, once we introduced that, it, it really opened up this idea of... Uh, you know, having what are her powers? You know, having these unique uh, traits mm-hmm. and and just in general, slightly different traits than than say traditional vampires, yeah. and really kind of getting rid of all of the, uh, you know, the religious iconography and crosses and garlic and all those things, yeah. but still yeah. creating new new uh, elements that could could you know play those roles. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the idea. There was like just like you know. Uh, science and secularism kind of have evolved over time and that these, you know, certain, certain uh, beliefs now are looked at as myths in our kind of personal contemporary time. And that perhaps that would also be an aspect of the evolution of vampires and their own self-understanding and self-awareness so that there were these things that in a way could be explained away by science and biology within the vampire community and world and species that, you know, myths had grown around. So the whole traditional classic vampire myths of the stake and the ground and the this and the that. And we thought, well, what if, yeah, all of that stuff were stripped away and could we explain all these phenomena as an actual 
biological process. And so that got us into this track of like, you know, coming up with these ideas like like strobe lights affect them, you know, so right. they can that, that it would literally send them into seizures. And, and um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily need to drive a stake through their heart and pin them to the ground, which was more like the myth- mythology, but you would just have to cut their head off, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and so it still had horror and gruesomeness, but it was a and little And I think there was more... a little woman came up with this. We, we were a little rock and roll about it. We were kind of like, let's just... Yeah, let's not, wor- let's let's not, just not, have let's not be inhibited about anything. Right. Let's just go... But what's interesting is as yeah. the as the project has evolved and as the stories have have been evolved and some of this it hasn't been even you know hasn't been explored mm-hmm. in the published work yet it's it's stuff we're still working out is a kind of reverse engineering of that of like well where did that start how did that how did that you know uh, yeah what come is to pass yeah, and what is the history yeah. and what's the history so that's you know for another time but but I think we it when we originally came up with the idea, we wanted it to be really a kind of a fresh take on a, on a yeah. contemporary vampire and also a domestic vampire. The idea that vampires that are, you know, born in the America and the sort of evolution of the, of the species, you know, has been impacted by, you know, aspects of this culture and this environment. Um, and so therefore, you know, even, uh, Karina, uh, the main character is, culturally American and mm-hmm. and therefore has this personality that's kind of unexpected. Yeah. Kind so, of, you know, individualistic, brash, kind yeah. of confident and, you know, s- setting off on her own to make, you know, build yeah. her own life and make it her own way. Right. That kind of a thing. Not fitting into her world of the vampire culture and yeah. finding her own way. And I think that that's a classic you know, traditional tale to yeah. be retold over yeah. and over again. So. Yeah, that's a theme, and that's maybe a modern American mythology in a way. Yeah. So yeah. taking all of that, the spirit of that, and all of that kind of grist for the mill, you know, mm-hmm. we started pulling that into a really classic three-act structure screenplay right? and and really wrote it as like a an urban, uh, almost like a noir love story you know, crime thriller that that has a fairly large ensemble of characters. That's got the the rural vampire family that that wants their wants Karina back, mm-hmm. and so they are coming to the city. It's got the it's got the criminal gang that that uh, Nick, the boyfriend, has targeted as you know potential victims and uh candidates you know, candidates <laughs> in a kind of vigilante mode uh of you know for for Karina to feed off of uh people that you know are such kind of you know extreme criminals that either they won't be missed or they you know they kind of deserve kind of, they're almost little, like low level players you know yeah uh, and so they're a little bit expendable the the expendables uh, yeah. yeah and uh, uh and then of course the vampire hunter mm-hmm. kind of tradition of like a, a, a detective uh, who's in this case kind of the burnout detective he's got lots of skeletons in his closet he's he's uh you know uh, having uh, sort of has controversy around him for having supposedly you know been involved in a massacre that he claimed involved vampires so he's sort of fallen from grace but is still on the force but amazingly but, but most of his contemporaries think he's just an old whack job yeah. and then he's saddled with this now young 
uh, new detective who's you know kind of new to the force and is like he's, a, he's a heard bit of a rumors. Yeah, he's now you know, or it's kind of the other way around. Rousseau is now saddled with Drake, the the kind of damaged goods uh, detective. So Rousseau is sort of a, a the the kind of the in a way the new you know the new blood, and he's the the you know the kind of a fresh he's part of the he's really part of the 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 story in like a, a from the standpoint of like a storyteller in a way I mean, he's kind of a he's sort of we're seeing a lot of the world he, he, through his he, eyes yeah he, like. he would probably represent like the audience the, audience. the, the skeptical point of view right. of like this is completely ridiculous this isn't happening and everybody's perceiving it you know and maybe drake is crazy you know kind of yeah. thing because drake the older cop um starts to recognize the the crimes that that the you know in the, the crime scenes and things the t- the tells that this could be uh this could be a vampire that is exactly doing I mean, this essentially they're saddled he and Rousseau are saddled with the staking out these criminals who have been in this sort of uh, who are on the run after a botched robbery and uh you know and so they're they're kind of uh, the detectives are trying to kind of track down these these uh, this crime gang, and that sort of cross sex with Karina's hunt and uh, Karina and Nick's hunt uh, of these the very same criminals and that so when when Drake the the sort of burnout detective hears the sound of the vampire you know vampire hiss, hiss when when it all they, takes them all back to the to the you know to yeah, his origins his, right so anyway it kind of <clears throat> yeah. it just has all these different kind of characters that it right. that come together in a final crescendoed third act and so it's very very classic very traditional very uh tarantino-esque i guess you could mm-hmm. say tarantino in his 90s you know true romance with fangs i guess we, that's kind of what we were calling it back in the day yeah um and it's but, it, it has this this sort of mexican standoff and so that's an aspect of a kind of a again a genre that we are familiar with a little bit of that spaghetti western feel yeah um but it, you know so, so to kind of fast forward basically with that script we started shopping it around in Hollywood, right. getting pitch meetings and started to do the classic, you know, going around from various studios and various folks to pitch the thing and found ourselves kind of encountering a bit of a dead end because basically a little book called Twilight had uh, just come out. Well, it had been out, but it had just gotten the movie deal. Yeah. And, it, and that uh, had been in development. And of course, you know, not being the demographic for Twilight and and uh, not having daughters reading it <laughs> to inform us, we were completely. It was off our radar. It was we were blindsided yeah. by yeah. that. So we had this, you know, uh, very different kind of story. But but uh, in terms of the the logline, it's like it sounded. You know, one's human, one's a vampire. They're lovers, or or, or there's a romance aspect to it. Um, and and people were like, well, there's already you know Twilight. So, and and then that sort of evolved into, well, we aren't really looking for vampire scripts because you know vampires are this season, this but they're like, going to be done next year when yeah, and we're saturated. We haven't we have enough vampires. So, yeah. we were you know, I think at the time we we kind of felt like, oh, okay, well, so much for that, and, yeah. and well, you know, and- but. But we were, yeah. you know, it, it was a disheartening because we'd put so much into it. Yeah. But at the same time, we felt really passionate about the yeah. story. And I would, I would just to add to that, we, it was, it was a bummer having all those no's. 
But a lot of people did read it and really like the script. And one of the yeah. things they would say, whether it was just a pat on the back and they're on the head, was that <laughs> they already had bought, you know, all, all of the studios at that point had bought like 10 other vampire scripts. They had this backlog of content that if they needed a vampire script, they already had it. And so we were kind yeah, of like... Yeah, it was, it was one of those things that was kind of a shutdown, you know. But mm-hmm. I think at the time, you know, like, well... I mean, it's a separate conversation with Hollywood and, and in general, anyone who, you know, uh, tells you why they can't do something is that you have to counter it. You know, you have to kind of triple it with positive reasons to do it because most of the time there's a lot of people telling you why not to do something. And it's a miracle anything gets made a lot of the time. So yeah. we kind of, you know, had to pick our battles. And then, you know, as, as far as how far do we want to take this particular genre with against this juggernaut franchise um, that seemed to be... Yeah, dom- dominating. Dominating the, the bandwidth and the yeah, narrative. Yeah. So we, we, we ultimately set Girl Fiend down um, for another time. And I think that for us, the takeaway was that, well, what we would learn in hindsight was that stories, you know, that you're passionate about doesn't always mean that it lines up with what people are looking for, at least in Hollywood, because Hollywood what the is industry is, a, is, is a business, uh, right? Yeah, it, and and it's you know arbitrary in a way because it, you, you might actually have something that completely clicks one week, and then you know a movie comes out in a similar genre uh, that's comparable to it in some way or another, and suddenly oh we're not looking for you know uh, action you know, female action led roles or something like yeah. that. Like yeah. any number of random things can come in and, and essentially, you know, sabotage a, a really a great momentum that you have going because you've got great ideas and you have passionate stories, but then there's this industry and, and its machinations. Yeah. That and, but always... I, I think the, you know, the takeaway there too, is that you just, you really need to keep writing, right? You need to not put all your eggs in one basket I mean, I mean, if strictly from a writing vantage point and writing from the perspective of wanting to sell a script, you really should push yourself to write a number of genres and have those scripts, you know, sitting there because... Well, it it, wasn't like it was a silver bullet. I mean, we we were kind of looking at it from a slightly practical standpoint Mm -hmm. that we thought, okay, this is going to give us some kind of advantage. And in the end, it was completely the opposite. But again, yeah. because of timing, because of, of things you can't predict. But we learned that in real time. So yes, taking stock, write what you're passionate about, because the other element is, you know, you're going to find an audience for it, and you're going to find an advocate for it. If yeah. you keep trying, it's a matter of how, you know, how much you put into that uh, given project. Yeah, and I think also the thing is, is that because screenplays, like if you're really writing them and giving them the love and the time, i.e. rewrites, you know. And we did spend, I think, over yeah. a year doing rewrites. Well, we polished the rock pretty well, yeah. I felt like. And, and and I think to to a point that it felt like this this thing is a really solid piece of written material. But the, the, the thing about that is that because these types of projects or these processes like writing a screenplay can take a while, um, there's no way to chase a trend. You really just have to right. write a great story within that genre. And... You know, at least it's on the, on your shelf. It's something you can put forward if people are looking for it. Exactly. And I think in our case, um, you know, after sitting on it for a while, we just kind of kept coming back to it and going, 
this is a fun story. Like it yeah. kept reading really well mm-hmm. to us. And, and I, I, it's reminding me of how there was this period of time where, you know, kind of Twilight became um, part of just the, you know, milieu of pop culture, you know, movies, and it wasn't the hot new thing anymore. And we thought, okay, well, why don't we kind of ease, you know, back into this mm-hmm. with 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 Girl Fiend? And, and, see. and there was a lot. There was like the Vampire Diaries. Well, like, that's what happened. And there was, movies kept coming, but they were very light, right? Well, there was exactly. So we were sort of seeing this. You know, the initial thing was oh you know, it's going to be Twilight and then that's kind of like going to be it. And then, yes, then there was a spinoff, Vampire Diaries. There was another, um, yes, things that were kind of in that, still in that tween demographic, uh, uh, you know, young young women and young adult. And then it Mm -hmm. kind of like morphed into uh, True Blood, which was like an HBO series. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then that sort of, you know, Elevated the discussion and, and, and really expanded on the genre in a really cool way. And mm-hmm. we, but, and that was it. We started getting nervous, like, okay, this is starting to feel like it's eking into some of our ideas. themes. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it also was kind of implicit well, kept, that the genre was alive and well. Alive and and, well. and five years went by, and, yeah. and we're going, well, this is silly. This is, yeah. people love vampires. Yeah. And we, but we still hadn't even really seen anything as gritty and edgy yeah. as ours in quite some time in this in this new um, era of vampires. And even like Till Dusk Till Dawn or, mm-hmm. uh, w- was, um, you know, very different, even though it was, you know, because uh, it had a campiness, I guess, in mm-hmm. a way. But um, for being Tarantino, which was a lot of this kind of inspiration in terms of the genre of, of Girl Fiend, I really felt like that was a totally different... Uh, creative approach as well so anyway there was enough for us to feel like you know we just gonna have to stop listening to these external forces and just find a way to tell this story yeah and we actually looked at the started to break it down even budget wise and i think originally we had written it as a as like you know kind of quote unquote low budget thing a lot of it takes place in in you know limited amount of locations but what ended up happening was that it ultimately ended up having a lot of characters, and so when you started to break it down as a as a budget, it was still a fairly big budget project, and that yeah, a it, lot of moving parts, special effects, makeup yeah. effects, uh, so, you know, gun, you know, gunplay, all all these things that kind of add up. Yeah, they definitely add up, and so that is when we really just decided, you know, let's let's we've got to get the story out there. We have to not have this be a story that sits on the shelf. We've got to put it out into the public sphere yeah. and have Activated. it be a part of the mm-hmm. conversation. And it had also been a book that we hadn't really, I mean, we hadn't drawn a comic book for over a decade at that point. I well, think. Uh, not collaboratively. I mean, collaboratively. But yeah. We, yeah. That's true. So it's true. We've been really focused on film projects. Um, we made a feature film and we'd been, you know, up until that point we'd been doing, we'd done music videos and short films and, and, uh, um, Experimental films, some documentary work. So it was kind of a mixed bag, but we knew we, you know, and then we made this feature, which is a subject for another time. But that, like, I'd say, yeah, between 2005 to 2010, um, or or really 15, which we were pretty focused on, and then commercial directing. We were really focused on film and media. And and so, yes, we, we came back to this, 
And the times had changed, the industry had changed in comics, and we were also looking at just the reality of, a, of, a, of an industry where you couldn't get an advance anymore for an mm-hmm. independent comic. Um, yeah. and, and the last book we had done was Batman in 2004, and right. that actually had a paycheck, a page rate. But for an original, you know, screenplay or original concept, there were publishers that were willing to publish it, but not willing to give an advance. Right. So we so, were kind of, and, you know, one of the, part the of the new rash, normal of, really yeah, for, com- yeah. for indie comics. Which wasn't really when we first started out the case. I mean, we were being advanced and that enabled us to sit and draw for, you know, upwards to a year a fairly yeah, significant a project. Different time, yeah. Yeah, but um, but we did at the time feel like we wanted to get the story told, and we also recognized that, you know, maybe the way to reverse engineer it was to draw a graphic novel because that would be a thing that companies and, and you know, producers might look at more as a viable thing because it would have, you know, a brand behind it, a publishing brand. It would be more, you know, have more whatever legitimacy legitimacy whatever yeah so so we uh so we decided to go down that path but we did have to figure out how to do it in a way that was a lot that was faster because of this money factor there was no advance and and that's when we started to explore the digital drawing yeah i mean and, and right and that was kind of you know we i feel like we've always been pretty good at adapting and mm-hmm. actually embracing new media and it's been a big part of our uh the, you know the stories we've told in independent comics is is kind of finding innovative ways to expand the narrative mm-hmm. and you know so but this was really just a completely new way of drawing a comic book for yeah. for us next episode we pick up our conversation on Girlfiend and the journey of our first digitally illustrated graphic novel how it made the project possible and how it transformed our collaboration. To get notified about new episodes, follow the Panda Bros Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to watch it on our Panda Bros YouTube channel.